please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, we proclaim Christ as our cornerstone. We say that He's the one that, that we put all of our hope, all of our trust, all of our faith into. And Father, we just we really pray that that is true this morning. Lord, as we get into your word, I pray that you can remove distractions from our minds. God, I pray that you help us to understand that we can hear your voice speaking to us. And Father, that we can take this word and use it. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, just like you, I had to shovel out this morning. And to get to my car, I had to shovel a path for about 30 feet. It was great. You know, it was up to my thighs in some places with all the wind-blown uh, snow. And I had some neighbors that were trying to get out of their, their spot, and they didn't bother to shovel anything. And they had this car that their wheels, you know, they're only that high. There's no space underneath their car. And they were trying to ram a snowbank that was about five feet high in some places. I guess it was lower right behind their car. But he, he dug a nice little path to his wheels and thought that that would be enough. And sure enough, he backed, well, he couldn't back up at first, and then he got some friends to come out and pushed him. And they got him pushed back a little ways, just far enough so that his car was high center, so that none of his wheels were touching the ground. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, fortunately, he accepted my, my snow shovel, and we got him out eventually. But man, man, what a day. Well, my sermon has nothing to do with snow, so you can just kind of edit that from your minds. Uh, I don't know about you, but way, way back when you were in school, were you ever the first person picked for the phys ed sports teams? Were you? Uh, I mean, you're all laughing now because you're like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> but I was in this program called the International Baccalaureate. You may be familiar with it if you have teens in high school now. Uh, it's basically an honors program that, that gets you more or less ready for university. Uh, it's completely useless, by the way. Um, it's, it's, uh, anyway, I was in this program, and at the time I lived in Alberta, and the Alberta government had changed the rules as to how much physical education each person was supposed to have in the course of their school day. I don't remember the exact statistics, but it meant that since we were in the IB program, and our schedule was very strict, and it was offset from all the other kids in high school, that all the IB kids had to be put into a special phys ed class. Uh, now, it's not special phys ed, it was called honors phys ed. It was great. Uh, I walked into the honors phys ed class the first day, thinking it would be like any other phys ed class, and I looked around, and there was one class of people that weren't present there. Can you guess who that was? The jocks. The jocks. That's right. They were all busy in mechanics class, or wherever they were doing their thing. And so I walked in, and sure enough, of the people that were there, I was actually a fairly well-ranked athlete in that class. So that should tell you the caliber of sports that we were about to play. But I loved that class uh, because, yes, I, I got to be impressive with my sports skills, but I also loved that class because any time that we went to pick teams for Vizette, I was usually either number one or within the top five. <laughs> and this was a brand new feeling for me. I had never experienced being picked first for anything. I've been picked last many times. I've also been picked first as a cruel, cruel joke. And, you know, that's, that feels great, and I encourage you all to try that sometime. Uh, but I was actually picked first, and it was wonderful. I loved that feeling of being picked, and being set apart, and being special for something, right? And I hope you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you've never experienced that, if we have a church sports day, I'll pick you first, don't worry. But we're going to deal with a passage of scripture here that has to do with a bit of picking. I want you to take a look at Luke chapter 6. 
And we're going to take a look at verses 12 to 16. And this is a passage of scripture that's really easy to breeze right past. This is Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. Jesus has been spending a lot of time in, in a particular area, and he's been teaching and he's been healing. And people are very, very impressed with him. Large crowds have been gathered to him. Um, he's been preaching great big sermons, uh, like I said, healing the sick, casting out demons, doing all kinds of really impressive stuff. And he's drawn to him a large group of followers. Now within this large group of followers, you have people who are mild acquaintances with Jesus, to people that he actually specifically came and called and said, I need you to come and follow me. There's all kinds of people in this group, and up till this point, it's just been a big old crowd following him around. Let's look at verse 12 here. About that time, Jesus went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night there. The next morning, he called all of his disciples together, so this great big group. And he chose 12 of them to be his apostles. One of them was Simon, and Jesus renamed him Peter. Another was Andrew, Peter's brother. There was also James, John... Philip, my favorite, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus. The rest of the apostles were Simon, known as the eager one, or the zealot, Jude, who was the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed Jesus. Now, a lot of people have tried to make uh, a big deal about the order of these apostles. Sure enough, you notice that Peter was first, and sure, Peter has some really important stuff to play. Um, but I don't really want to focus on, on who he picked. But I want to reel it back just a little bit to the verse before he does the picking. Did you catch what happened there? It says, about that time Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night there. Jesus goes off, and he spends an entire night in prayer, picking his disciples, listening for the voice of God as to who he should pick. This is a very critical moment for him. A very major, major decision with a huge impact on what's going to happen in the kingdom. And I'll get into that in just a second. But I want to ask you this question. When faced with a major decision, it doesn't matter what that decision is, just a major decision, how much time do you spend in prayer on that decision? Jesus was picking 12 disciples, 12 guys to follow him, and he spent the entire night praying about it. The only other time that we have a record of Jesus spending the whole night praying is before he goes to the cross. This should tell you how important this decision is. It's really, really important. Think about it. If he messes up this decision, the whole plan can go awry. Maybe he'll get betrayed a little bit too early. Maybe uh, these 12 guys that he picks, they're not going to be able to stand up to the might of Rome afterwards so that the church doesn't spread the way it should. If he doesn't pick that Philip guy, you know, Philip's not going to meet a certain character on the road uh, down in Ethiopia and have him baptized. And, and all the stories that we know from the disciples later on after Jesus is gone, that may not happen. And the church as we know it today may not exist if he doesn't pick correctly. And I mean, we oftentimes, we credit Jesus to being Jesus, right? We say, well, he is God, so he obviously knew who he was going to pick and and he knew what he was doing the whole time, but he spent the entire night in prayer, ready to make a decision. Readying himself to make a decision. We have all kinds of decisions that come up every single day. Some of you, you're coming up on a decision like, 
Where do I go to university? What am I supposed to do with my life? Who am I supposed to be when I grow up? Maybe you're coming to a decision like, who should I get married to? What should my job be? How, how am I going to take what I've learned and leverage that into some sort of employment? Maybe you're way past that, and you're at the stage where you're saying, hmm, maybe I should change my job. Maybe, maybe I should pursue more family time. Maybe, maybe I should do this, maybe I should do that. Or maybe you're even further along that road, and maybe you're at the point where you're saying, is it time for me to be retiring? Should I be spending time with, with my grandkids more? Should I, what should I do with my life from this point on? But no matter where we are on that journey, there's one critical question that we have to ask. And that is, how will this action impact the kingdom of God? See, I'm not too sure how much God cares about us being doctors or lawyers or nurses or snow shovelers as much as he's worried about how will us being a snow shoveler affect our impact on the kingdom. And this is a question that we all have to answer. If we're Christians, then that means that we're Christ-like. That's what that word literally means. And Jesus told us that he has come to establish the kingdom of God. The first and most important thing to Jesus was the kingdom. This is what he came for. To free us from sin, to bring us into the kingdom of God, to establish that kingdom. And we as Christians should have the kingdom as our most important, most primary concern if we want to be Christ-like. So Jesus spends the night in prayer knowing the next day is a major decision that will impact the kingdom. We have major kingdom impacting decisions every single day. And how much time do we spend in prayer before them? If you're serving here at Halifax Christian Church, if you're a part of a team, those teams meet frequently. Or at least I hope the teams meet frequently. How much time in prayer do you spend before one of those team meetings, thinking, how can I affect the kingdom through this team? Before going to a, a home group or a youth group, you're going to be gathering together in a group with a whole bunch of other Christians. Do you take time to stop and pray before you go and say, Lord, how are you going to affect me in, in this group of people? How, how may I serve other people within this group according to your purposes? How do you want to use them? Here's one. Maybe you're not even that far down the road yet. Before coming to church, a place where we gather to worship and praise the name of the Lord and be together and be one in Christ, how many of us take time to stop and pray and say, I'm about to come into a community of Christians. How will you use me, Lord, to serve them instead of being served? It's just a thought for you. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable or guilty. But this is what Jesus taught us to do. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. To be in prayer constantly. And you know, in a few weeks we have an annual general meeting. And all of our members are supposed to, to well, we really enjoy all of our members to be there. If you can't make it, we can understand that. But before that meeting, we have some major decisions to make. And I'm just wondering, and I'm just issuing this challenge, who will take some time the night before and spend dedicated time in prayer? I'm not saying do an all-night prayer vigil. If you want to, go for it. But who's going to take some time and really pray before that meeting and be ready and all prayed up and be full of the Spirit and be saying, yes, I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm willing to listen and just wait on the Lord to see what He might say. It's a major kingdom-impacting event. 
we should pray for those. Now Jesus, He wants us to know that our prayers aren't just useless, right? In 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, take a look at what this says. We are certain that God will hear our prayers when we ask for what pleases Him. And we know that God listens when we pray, and we are sure that our prayers have already been answered. What could be more pleasing to God than asking Him what His will is? Asking Him, how will you use me, God? How will you, you affect me? How will, how will I affect others for the kingdom? This is what pleases God. He wants these questions to be asked. And Jesus spends the entire night in prayer, and God gives him some answers. And so he boldly goes out. And just imagine how all the other followers kind of feel, right? Jesus walks up. I mean, imagine this crowd. I'm, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but in this particular situation, I'm analogous to Jesus. So I'm standing here, and I'm Jesus. And I go, okay, uh, Peter, James, John, you know, and just picking them out of the crowd. Like, all right, you guys are my inner 12, everybody else, thank you very much. Uh, you can hang out back there, but these guys are going to be one of those guys, right? Uh, it's a little awkward. But he doesn't just pick these guys out because he just wants to feel like a jerk and, and make everybody hate him a little bit. He actually wants to use these guys for something. And take a look at what he does with them in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus called together his 12 apostles, and he gave them complete power, complete power, over demons and diseases. Then he sent them out to tell about God's kingdom, so Jesus' primary concern, and to heal the sick, do both things. So Jesus picks these men out not because he really likes them or likes their names. He picks them out because he wants them to be doers. He's going to use them. He's going to build into them. He's going to make them something. And we see what they go out to do, that they're supposed to accompany what they say with action. Right? He gives them complete authority over demons and diseases. So he says, I'm going to make you be able to heal people, to help people, where they are right now. And I want you to tell them about the kingdom of God. There's a message about the kingdom that is for every person. But you need to do something. Action is very important. Imagine how the people would have responded to these guys if they had no authority to heal or to cast out demons. Um, this is a big deal for people back then. And remember, they're signaling that you know Jesus has come. The, the end of the Old Testament is here. We've fulfilled all the things that have been prophesied about, and now we're moving into the next phase. So people are going to want uh, some sort of impression from God that this is really supposed to be happening. And without any sort of miracles... They would have had no authority. So they needed this authority to go out and do. Action is very, very important. But beyond this, Jesus gives them instructions as to how, they're how they are to approach this ministry. In verse 3, he told them, Don't take anything with you. Don't take a walking stick or a traveling bag or a food or money or even a change of clothes. When you are welcomed into a home, stay there until you leave that town. If people won't welcome you, leave the town and shake the dust from your feet as a warning to them. Now what Jesus does here may not be obvious to us, or, or even easy to understand. I mean, wouldn't you want your followers to kind of be able to take care of themselves while they're out on the road and not be dependent on the people that they came to serve? Uh, it's an interesting concept. But I think what Jesus is doing here is making a distinction between his followers 
and followers of other religions. You see, having your followers go out and proclaim the name of your God wasn't a strange thing back then. I mean, we don't have people on the street corner now like preaching to us in the name of whatever God they serve. And if they do, they're generally a crazy person, and we just avoid them at all costs. But back then, you had these people that would travel around, and they would proclaim the name of their God, and they would go from house to house asking for money in the name of that God so that they could support themselves. And they would do the work of that God, whatever that God was, and they would try to spread the name that way. And they would go from home to home to home doing that, and that was their general purpose. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you traveling from home to home to home. I want you to go to one place, one community, stay at one home, and let your actions speak for you. I want you to share the word of God, but stay at one place so that people can become familiar with you. So they can see that God generally actually cares about them. And then he says, to shake off the dust on your feet if they don't welcome you into this place. And that's kind of an insult to people. Um, but Jesus is saying, you know, there's, there really is judgment coming, and rejecting this message is rejecting me. And we need to be clear about that as well. He says you should start by giving people the good news, giving them some help, doing all those things, but you need to be clear about the message. And he gives the disciples all of this authority to do all this stuff. You know, each of us has not necessarily been given complete authority over all diseases and all demons. I don't know about you, but I've never been able to heal someone. Um, if you have that gift, that's fantastic. And I pray that you use it in the name of the Lord. But God has given each of us both spiritual gifts and talents, natural abilities, that he says, I've given you these things so that my kingdom can be proclaimed, so that you can go out and you can do things in my name. Take a look at 1 Peter, verse, chapter 4. Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. Use your gift well. If you have the gift of speaking, preach God's message. If you have the gift of helping others, do it with the strength that God supplies. Everything should be done in a way that will bring honor to God because of Jesus Christ, who is glorious and powerful forever. Amen. Glorious and powerful. That is Jesus. And our gifts are meant to bring that glory to Him. Now, the disciples go out and they try to bring this glory back to Jesus. They try to get people to understand who He is and preach that message. I don't have it displayed on the screen here, but I'm going to read to you chapter 9, verse 6 of Luke. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. They just did it. Eventually we find out that they came back and they were really excited. They were saying, you know, Jesus, you told us to go and use our gifts uh, for your glory. And man, your glory was shone all over the place. People were excited. You know, sick people were healed. Demons were cast out. It was the most fun we've ever had doing ministry. Uh, I was a little freaked out by the whole, you know, not change of clothes thing. But, you know, I trusted you and it worked out the first time. And this is exactly what Jesus wants us to know. He has supplied us with everything we need to be able to share his name with other people. And he says, just trust me. You don't need all kinds of stuff. You don't need a car. And you don't need extra pair of shoes. You don't need a great big bag of cash. 
You don't need a safety net. All you need is me. And that's enough. Sometimes, though, no matter how hard we try, the message doesn't quite get through. And we have the next scene here, which I find just absolutely fascinating, from a guy by the name of Herod. Herod that comes up in Scripture here in Luke chapter 9 is not the same Herod that we know from the birth of Jesus. That guy is long dead. This is one of his sons. Uh, this guy was not a very pleasant man either. And he had recently beheaded Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. He wasn't a fan of kind of rabble-rousers, and he wanted to keep the peace with Rome as much as he could. But he heard some interesting stories about Jesus. Look at what he says. Herod, the ruler, heard about all that was happening, and he was worried. Some people were saying that John the Baptist had come back to life, and I'm sure that would freak him right out. <laughs> Others were saying that Elijah had come, or that one of the prophets from long ago had come back to life. That's verse 8. But Herod said, I had John's head cut off. Who is this that I hear so much about? And Herod was eager to meet Jesus. Now why was he eager to meet Jesus? Probably not for any reason that had to do with the kingdom. It wasn't for anything to do for his own edification. He heard some pretty amazing stories. First of all, he wanted to see who this guy actually was. And whether or not John had really come back from the dead. Because that, I mean, that would have been mind-blowing to him. But not only that, we also know that he really wanted to, to see some sort of miraculous thing happen. I mean, think about it. If you had no association with Jesus, and you had heard that this guy was doing stuff, he had, he had turned water into wine, or maybe you had heard that it, a best friend or something like that had been healed completely of a skin disease or of a debilitating, crippling, crippled leg, or something like that, you'd want to see this guy, and you'd want to kind of trot him out and say, ooh, look at this. And if you were a king and you were a little bored and living in a backwaters place like Palestine, in the middle of the Roman Empire, you want some entertainment. And I think this is more what, what Herod had in mind when he wanted to bring Jesus to him. And sometimes the message just gets completely lost. Sometimes the action doesn't translate all the way through. And that's why the words are important to go with the action. Because, you know, if we're doing great things and if we're, if we're serving wholeheartedly, and we're going at it, and people just look at you and say, man, that's a nice person. So what? You're a nice person. And that's, that's just not what Jesus sent us out to be. He gave us words, and he gave us actions to do. And those two things together, those two things together are what are important. We live in a time when the gospel has become grossly, grossly misrepresented. The expectation that people have about the Christian faith and about Christians is sad, to be honest. Most people think that, that Christians are going to be grumpy people who are just going to be angry at them, who are sure that everybody else is going to hell except for them, and that's the attitude that we give off, or at least traditionally have given off. And the message that was preached along with action long, long ago has just gotten lost. And I think for a long time, and this is through no fault of any one individual, that, that Christians just focused on the words for a long time. And, and we just, we preached and preached and preached. And while that was good, we missed the whole action part of things. 
And now we live in a society that's completely disillusioned with preaching. They say, well, you can't stand up and say to do nice things or to go out and do things in the name of Jesus. You actually have to go and do things in the name of Jesus, and then I'll think about what you've said. This is what the church needs to do. But before we can even decide what it is that we're supposed to do, we need to spend some time in prayer. Because that, the action that we use, how we use our gifts in the name of Jesus, is a massive, massive kingdom-changing event. You know, it's funny, we participate in all kinds of things here at the church um, that are really great things. Things like Turn on the Tap, you're familiar with, um, Operation Christmas Child, which is a great program. Uh, a friend of mine, she works with some girl guides, and they were doing Operation Christmas Child. They got associated through our church, and she was talking to one of the mothers. And the mom was very upset that we were doing something that had the name Christian in it, um, Operation Christmas Child. So Christ, you know, it was right in there. She said, no, you can't do that. It should be more open to all people. And she missed the whole point of what this was, is that, that Christians are gathering together and asking everybody to bring presents to kids who don't have presents. Yes, the gospel message is preached there. And it's preached alongside the saying, you know, Jesus loves you, and other people love you too. And this is what you get from that. And somehow, that's not okay. This is how far we've gone. That somehow, offering somebody a gift for no reason other than the kindness of our hearts and the kindness that the Lord has put in our hearts isn't okay. And that boggles my mind. Christianity is suffering from some severe bad press. People are disillusioned with the words. And like his team of twelve, Jesus has presented us with gifts that are meant to serve other people. And without this service to others, the gospel falls completely flat. I'm going to give one last challenge today. I want everybody to leave this place. I want you to pray and spend some time this afternoon in prayer. I'll do it as well. Just ask God what He would have you do. And if you have to take a second and just sit silently and think, just sit silently and think. If you say it out loud, great. Say it out loud. But after you say it, wait and listen. That's not the easiest thing, I know. Because immediately, as soon as you, you just sit quietly for a second, I know, all kinds of thoughts start going on. My wife often tells me that she has like nine thoughts going and like two songs playing in her head and all this stuff at all periods of time. I don't fully understand that because my mind is, isn't that quick. <laughs> but you need to take some time and listen for God and what God might have to say. And I think if we all did that and tried that every day, the actions that we would do to represent the gospel a whole lot better than what's come before. Let's pray. Lord God, we put our trust into your hands. Father, today I ask that you just speak to us. When we spend time in prayer with you, Lord, I pray that you're clear. I pray that we will remove distractions from our minds. If we have a lot of things going on in our head, Father, I just ask that we can quiet those down, even for a minute, just so we can hear your voice. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name.